360 degrees. High high, 360 degrees. High high, 306, 306, 360 degrees. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to your Full Circle, to Full Circle, the Cultural Affairs Radio Magazine, produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. We are broadcasting live in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as the East Bay Area. This evening, we hit the stage lights as we bring the theater back to Full Circle. Yes, and on tonight's show, we speak with playwright Elaine McGree about her one-woman show, Pussy Grabbing Revenge. We also pay another visit to the Drama Factory out in Antioch to discuss their unique training program and their upcoming show, The Cat and the Devil. And finally, we'll hear an original commentary touching on the Me Too movement, also an in-house radio drama production. All that and more coming up tonight on Full Circle. We are your host. I'm Free Will and Franklin. Hannah Wilson with you. So keep it locked. Again, welcome to Full Circle. Before we get into our show tonight, we want to give a big shout out to everyone that donated to this important media outlet, KPFA. Thanks to you, we just wrapped up a successful winter fun drive. Ooh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And we want to especially thank those who donated during the hour of our show, Full Circle. Your continued support shows that our efforts are being rewarded in many ways. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Also, if you didn't get a chance to donate during the last couple of weeks and really had your eye on that certain thank you gift, most of them are still available online at kpfa.org, including the two films we featured right here on Full Circle. That is The Long Shadow and National Bird. Um, well, let's get on with the show, as they say, and tonight we are going to explore theater. In the first half of our show deals with a tough subject, but it's a subject that has emerged from the darkness and I would say has been forced into the light. And that is the Me Too movement and the subject of sexual assault and violence against women. To kick us off tonight, we're going to start with a personal experience of this nature produced and recorded by my co-host here, Hannah Wilson. During this year of Me Too revelations, of women naming sexual violence and harassment, the collective chorus of women's voices has had an impact on me, as it has on many women. I don't especially think of myself as a woman who was sexually abused. I haven't experienced rape or incest, but as I've read the Me Too accounts, memories have come to me. They're not memories that were so repressed that it's a shock to remember them. They were just pushed to the back of my consciousness, resting among life's moments, as if being groped, harassed, and exposed to men's genitals was ordinary and uneventful. When I was a teenager, I worked after school in a local mom-and-pop grocery store. Each day at work, I got on the stepladder in the storage room. 
I didn't need his help, his hands holding my thighs as I pulled down the toilet paper stored on the top shelf. The owner of the gourmet Italian grocery store was older than my father, his daughter my age, 16. His wife worked the front cash register. Each day at work, he caught me there on the ladder. To myself, I pretended it was nothing. There was a narrow place in the back of the store, a small aisle with a coffee pot and a mini fridge. One day on my break, I was pouring coffee when I felt a sour breath on my neck. I turned around, but I couldn't move, pressed up against the counter by the weight of him, his hands lifting my skirt, one hand sliding underneath, touching me between my legs through my underwear. The shock of sensation, intense, startling, and unwanted. His wife was on the other side, beyond the partition, not so very far away. It never occurred to me to yell or to threaten to tell. He removed his hand and released me. My break over, I returned silently to bagging. How does a girl learn silence? Why does a girl feel she must make up a story in order to quit? Not feeling entitled to say, bastard, you owe me two weeks severance or I'm telling your wife. Instead, I lied and said, we're moving to California. I was 16 in 1967, disempowered as girls were, never thinking we could assert ourselves or voice our rage against male aggression. Instead, we learned to swallow the abuses and not make a fuss. But I was lucky. Three years later, I encountered the women's liberation movement. It was an immense relief to have my personal experiences given a cultural context, named systemically as sexism, patriarchy, misogyny. In discussion groups, our stories poured forth, our anger shone in us, a light that overcame depression and shame. We are in another historic moment now, women joining voices and speaking out, gaining power and solidarity. In spite of pushback, women continue raising their voices about sexual harassment and assault and are also taking leadership in a multitude of arenas in Black Lives Matter, indigenous struggles for climate justice, as high school students protesting gun violence, as women running for elected office, the list goes on. We will not be silenced. At the grocery store, I often did bagging. Once a famous soprano from New York City's Metropolitan Opera, who lived in the small New Jersey suburb, put her sundries on the counter. I began bagging her groceries. The grocer's wife, who was ringing her up, begged, please, signora, sing us something. The diva nodded. The opening of an aria vibrated the air. I paused in my bagging, frozen with astonishment at the power and clarity of her voice, her woman's voice, transforming the very air with its force and beauty. This is Hannah Wilson, and you just heard a commentary that I created that was stimulated by the Me Too movement. You know, it seemed especially relevant in this week that Harvey Weinstein was finally convicted. Here's to Tarana Burke, founder 
of the Me Too movement. Yes, yes. Yeah. My commentary is also a prelude to an interview we will hear with playwright, director, and actor Elaine McGree. Her play, Pussy Grabbing Revenge, tackles both personal and collective responses to sexual threats and violence and ponders the question, what is justice? And along the way, she threads in corny jokes. In a recent review, Joss Kornbluth says, Elaine McGree's pussy-grabbing revenge somehow brings both deep drama and exuberant humor to a fast-moving tale of growing up as a queer woman. Elaine McGree's one-woman show is currently on stage at the Waterfront Playhouse in Berkeley. Her play is part of the Theater First series, History Keeps Me Awake, Queer Voices in Rep. Her play is Pussy Grabbing Revenge. Let's go to that interview. So welcome, Elaine. That's quite a, quite a title of a play. Would you please introduce yourself? I'm Elaine McGree, and my uh, pronouns are she, her, hers, it, its, and I'm so happy to be here today with you. Yeah, I got to see the play this uh, in its first weekend, and it's still going to be playing, and we'll talk about the play dates a bit down the road. Well, what, what do you see as the themes of the play? Definitely revenge. It's right there in the title. And I ask over and over again, what is resistance? What is subversion? What is revenge? What is justice? And how do they interrelate? And, and what do they do for us? And how do they work? And I think I ended up going into revenge farther ultimately than I thought I would in the beginning. And looking at the desire for it, what revenge can look like, the consequences of revenge, the limitations of revenge, the backlash of revenge, and everybody who sees it will come to their own conclusion, but most of what I've heard is that it's clear that it points towards the question about what is restorative justice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Would you give a brief overview of the play? How would you describe it? The play has two parts. It has a framing fairy tale about um, life in the 50s. My first decade of life was the 50s, and my parents wanted to bring me into the world and train me up in the gender roles that were thought to be appropriate at that time. So there's a three-part fairy tale about that, about my brother and myself and how we navigated that training. So that's at the beginning, the middle, and the end. And then in between are different stories of sexual assault or abuse and the resistance to it. The first story is actually a pretty funny story. We think a lot in solo theater about taking care of the audience and making sure people know that they're going to have an experience that's going to be enlightening and informative and enjoyable and not just triggering going deep into this hard stuff that will make you wish you were somewhere else. So then there are these sequence of stories and the resistance 
resistance, subversion, revenge, and justice are the concepts that are kind of explored and interrogated throughout the course of the different stories. Yeah, I was I was wondering, because the play is such a mix of personal history, some of your own vignettes from your life growing up in those rigid gender roles of the 1950s, and, and your brother also is very much impacted by these rigid gender roles, but it, it's a mix of that, your personal experiences that are part of a generation, along with a cultural history of feminist activism. So I'm really curious, what motivated you to create this play, and what was the process like of creating it? That's a good question, and there's a bit of a disagreement in my family about the origins. I think it came after the Hollywood Access tape of the pussy grabber-in-chief talking about you can grab him by the pussy. And, and I thought to myself, in my 20s and 30s, feminism and feminist activism, which in my world of socialist feminism was relatively intersectional, that was, my life was pretty much consumed and revolved around that in my 20s and 30s. In the next 30 years of my life, I was more involved in other issues that overlap and relate, but anti-militarism and anti-colonialism and social, all kinds of social justice activism. But when I heard that, I thought, you know, what the, what's going on? This is really intolerable. And why aren't women of my generation who came to adulthood in this movement, where are we right now? And so I just, the title came to me right away. Then my writing process is a very unconscious, I'll start out to describe a story, and then it'll remind me of something else, which will remind me of something else, which will remind me of something else, kind of like nesting dolls. And I did make a list of all the different kind of sexual assaults or improprieties I'd experienced in my life. And I think I, I picked five out of about 13. Mm -hmm. And then I wrote those which were personal, but there were also two very big mass actions that I was aware of. One took place in the, one took place in the Bay Area and the other took place in Rochester, New York, where my partner is from. There was an incredible group of feminists in Rochester who were mostly but not all lesbians, and my current partner, Margaret Hall, was one of them. And they were creative and relentless. They had a wheat-pasting campaign where they would put up posters all over town. There was a serial rapist, and this really creative group of feminists thought, we have to do something. So they made a particular kind of poster that would have an impact on the rapist. And the police became more obsessed with their poster and finding out who had made the poster than they were with finding the rapist. So it really revealed the kind of backward mentality that impeded the kind of justice we needed. 
And there is a great, great moment, I won't give it away, but with a nun reacting to the police. It's a riot. It is. It is. She's great. Sister Matthew Mary. I wanted to bring those stories to life that showing what different kinds of resistance can look like and at this and reminding all of us of that incredibly rich history over the 70s and 80s where women were creating every kind of job every kind of work environment women were in the trades we're setting up clinics for other women we're setting up newspapers we're starting bookstores we're just this tremendous proliferation that it was it was like this time of action on a very concrete basis as well as a theoretical making an analysis and also kind of reclaiming power reclaiming culture creating culture among ourselves, too. Yes. And it was at a time when it was possible, if if we saw a need, like we couldn't get appropriate health care, then we started a clinic. You'd go to the auto shop and the guys would diss you and charge you twice as much. So people started learning how to take care of their cars themselves. And it just was on and on and on. It was every single thing, every everything that touched our lives, people recreated or created a, a new way, a woman-run environment for us to be learn the skills and have some autonomy and it broke things open there's a section in the play that is affectionately called the rant and it comes after a story where a guy calls us a name on the street when i'm walking holding hands with my lover and it's homophobic and i just go on this rant about name calling would you do the rant for us? Let's see. Well, so when the pussy grabber in chief calls women names or even talks about women, that's sexism. And when I said that's so pussy to my adult son and his friends about Earl Grey tea because like, <laughs> who drinks tea with perfume on it? I was trying to be cool and that's internalized sexism and when the healthcare system will pay for Viagra but not birth control or the university is more worried about the future of the white male athlete rapist than the girl or boy who got raped that's institutionalized sexism and it goes on <laughs> bravo yes yeah and then i think the story of walking down 40th street with my lover I just, my classic kind of monkey brain is, oh, I was walking down 40th Street in Oakland with my lover, who later became my wife. And then I had to stop and say, but I don't really like the term wife. Okay, so how am I going to get myself out of that situation? I, Well, we didn't start out wanting to get married because our outlaw love does not need the approval of the heteropatriarchy. But there I am, I feel like, oh no, have I dissed this woman that's the love of my life. So I have to keep going uh, to explain why we got married, which had a lot to do with um, getting back at Rush Limbaugh. 
Uh, But you'd have to come and see the show to uh, understand that fully. My partner and I, neither of us really feel any alignment with Valentine's Day, with the kind of capitalist celebration of love, although you could never have too much love and yay, people give each other presents and adore each other, but uh, regimenting it into one given day, it's not my favorite. But the best Valentine's Day I ever had was getting up at 4.30 in the morning and going to the San Francisco Zoo's uh, Sex Lives of Animals tour. And we were told at that tour, uh, now um, on your left, on the far side of the lake, is our population of banana slugs, a slime of slugs, slime being the collective noun. Each slug has a penis on its forehead and an orifice at its tail. That's right, slugs pretty much invented 69. (laughs) On the left side of the bus, are the possums. Each female has three uteruses. That's uteri. She can have a litter of pups and be pregnant in the other two uteri at the same time, which may be why the females so frequently throw themselves under the wheels of oncoming traffic. (laughs) And they really said that at the San Francisco Zoo. Wow. This is Hannah Wilson, and I'm speaking with Elaine McGree, whose play, Pussy Grabbing Revenge, is currently in performance at the Waterfront Playhouse in Berkeley. Well, you know, you raise the the issue of sexual harassment on the job, and there's an incredible story about that in your play that's very powerful of women, the action that the women take to impede this man who will not stop. It's, It's really something, so it's a great... A great moment in the play. And you mentioned that even the idea of work sexual harassment was not a concept in the 70s. So women's anger, women fighting back against harassment is one aspect of the play. Yeah, and then there's sort of then what do we do on a systemic level as well? Right, right. It's the It's the dilemma that all of us are being indoctrinated in the same kind of rotten stew around class and race and gender. So the way we hold each other accountable for being in that stew, we can just you can throw someone away or you can think about what what is the possibility of redemption now on an individual basis absolutely not no you can't treat me or anyone that way no i'll do whatever i need to do to to stop you from harm causing harm but i also understand that the impulse to cause harm maybe something that was taught and maybe somebody who experienced that harm and is passing it on. I mean, there's incredible statistics about the number of men on death row in this country who were molested as children. Hmm. And so the 
finding a balance where you protect yourself and you protect your loved ones, but hold the hope that anyone can be redeemed. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. This is Full Circle right here on 94.1 KPFA. And that was the voice of Elaine McGree. Her play, Pussy Grabbing Revenge, is still in performance this week and next week at the Waterfront Playhouse on 4th Street in Berkeley. Here are some show dates. That would be um, tomorrow would be a great day, but it's already sold out. So the next performances are Sunday, March 1st at 8 p.m., Friday, March 6th at 8 p.m., and Saturday, March 7th at 2 p.m. If you want more information about uh, the tickets, you can go to theaterfirst.org. That's theatre, T-H-E-A-T-R-E-F-I-R-S-T.org, theaterfirst.org. And we'll also have a link to them on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. So I want to let everyone know something exciting, which is that Theater First has generously donated one pair of tickets to give to a lucky listener. And this is for the show, which is this coming Sunday, March 1st at 8 p.m. at their theater in Berkeley. If you'd like to win one of that pair of tickets, you can call 510-848-4425. And the second caller that we get will be the winner. So let me say the number again. That's 510-848-4425. So again, third time, the number to call to win a pair of tickets for this coming Sunday, March 1st at 8 p.m. for Pussy Grabbing Revenge is 510-848-4425. And we'll be right back after this break.
yes, yes. Welcome back. This is Full Circle broadcasting live right here in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, a.k.a. Berkeley. And that song you just heard was Limelight by Rush. And I want to give a big shout out to the sky for world famous and beloved drummer of Rush, Neil Peart. Uh, he recently passed on to the spirit realm. And Neil Pert, he was certainly um, a main fixture in my musical life through, uh, throughout my life, starting probably about age 12. And um, just a big shout out to Neil Pert. We're going to miss that man. Um, moving on. Coming up next, we'll visit another couple playwrights. This time, we'll be returning to downtown Antioch to speak to John and Lee Ballesteros, the founders and directors of The Drama Factory, a free training program focusing on theater in East Contra Costa County. All right, this is Free Will and Franklin. I'm here with John and Lee Ballesteros again, creators and founders of The Drama Factory, which is a nonprofit organization and as before, what they do is similar to what we do here at the Apprenticeship Program, and that is invite the community in and to come learn and be part of a theatrical production. And they take place right here where we're at now, our local community theater, the Nick Rodriguez Community Theater. And they have a new production they are rehearsing for. Welcome back to KPFA, John, Lee. Thanks, Franklin. Hi, Frank. Thank you. Good to have you back on. And let's just jump right into it and talk about the new production the Cat and the Devil. Tell us a little bit about this play, and as I remember it, it is set in a town similar to ours. So, uh, John, go ahead. It is. When we first started doing theater in, in town here at the Nick Rodriguez, it was it was difficult to get in, you know, for some reason, and we had to uh, have meeting after meeting with uh, the city manager, I mean, to rent the hall, go to city council meetings to beg to get in, and it was just a really rough process. And uh, when we, I was sitting at the city council meetings, the characters for the play began to emerge, you know, because uh, because those things are ludicrous. I mean, it was a lesson in civics I didn't want, you know. There are different issues. Uh, there were hot-button issues at the city council meeting at that time when I first wrote the play six years ago. It was feral cats and uh, homelessness. And these are just, the, you know, people would get really riled up. And so the different characters at the meetings began to uh, pop up. And so I just, I wrote them into the play. And it's funny because we were really frustrated with how things were going at the time. And I was really angry when I wrote it. So I'm just, you know, it's funny that it turned out to be a comedy, you know. So the the story is originally by James Joyce. Um, it's a very short children's book by James Joyce and then John turned it into the full-length play that it is um, so it takes place in medieval France but medieval France turns out to be an awful lot like our present-day communities also well we're about to check out a scene from the play set up uh, what we're about to hear what's happening in the town and just kind of set the scene for what we're about to hear well in the story uh, by James Joyce what happens is is uh, there's a ferry boat that ferries people across the, the river that uh, is set near the town, and it sinks. And the devil comes to make a deal that, you know, I will, uh, I'll build you a bridge if the first person that crosses, the, the first soul across the bridge shall belong to me, you know. So what the play pretty much is is the town magistrate the night before uh, is trying to round somebody up to uh, to cross the bridge, you know, trying to find a sucker to go across. And uh, one 
of the people he tries to get across the bridge is uh, the bishop. That's what this scene is about. The town magistrate is trying to recruit the bishop to cross the bridge, you know, into the devil's custody. All right, so let's check out this scene from The Cat and the Devil uh, being rehearsed right here at the Nick Rodriguez Community Center, and we'll be right back. Picasse negamus, falimer et nola est and nobis veritas. <coughs> Stipendium Picati mors est. Stipendium. <coughs> Picati mors. <coughs> mors est. <coughs> Stipendium Picati Morse Est! <laughs> <sighs> Stipendium Picati Morse Est. Pardon me, Your Eminence. What is it, Durant? I'm not taking confession tonight. Oh, it's not that, Your Grace. Well, what is it then? As you can see, I'm very busy. It is a revelation, Your Eminence. I can well imagine. What with the state bogency is in now? It's no wonder you've got a revolution brewing. No, Your Grace. A revelation. A what? A revelation. A vision has been revealed to me. A vision? Revealed? To you? Yes, Your Grace. Go on. Well, while I was at my devotions this evening, I saw a vision of you, Your Eminence. Of me? Pray do continue. In the vision, I saw Your Grace down by the riverside in the morning light and mist, giving the benediction to the rising sun. Then, as if by some miracle, you walked a thousand steps to the other side of the river. Do you know what you're saying, Durant? Yes, Your Grace. It has been revealed to me that on the morrow you'll proceed to the river's edge and perform a miracle. Blasphemy! What? Heresy! But... I could have you stretched on the rack or burned at the stake for that, Durant. But, Your Grace... Silence! You are surely influenced by devils. There's only one way to save you from them. Get in the sack, you. We're going to the river's edge right now. Get in the sack. There's only one cure for blasphemy and heresy. Get in the sack. Uh, maybe it wasn't really a vision after all. Get in there, heretic. I remember now. It wasn't a vision. I, I must have fallen asleep, and I guess it was just a dream. Yes, that's it. A dream, not a vision. What's the difference? Confess your iniquities and get in the sack. Oh, look at the time. Well, I really must be going. I'll see you at the Mass on Sunday. Goodbye now. Come here. <sighs> Stipendium Picati Morse Est. All right. Hey, welcome back. This is Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> this is Franklin. I'm in downtown Antioch at the Nick Rodriguez Community Theater speaking with John and Lee Ballesteros, founders of the Drama Factory. And that was a scene from their upcoming production, The Cat and the Devil. And the Cat and the Devil will be running here starting in March. What's we open March 20th. Uh, the way we do our production schedule is um, we open on a Friday night. So March 20th, we're at 7.30. March 21st, we have two performances at 1.30 and 7.30. The first weekend on Sunday, we also have a performance at 1.30. And we call that our Free Senior Sunday. Although everyone is welcome to join us, uh, seniors do get in for free. Uh, then the second weekend, we do Friday night again at 7.30. 
and then Saturday at 1.30, Saturday at 7.30. So we close on the 28th. All so right. we open the 20th, we close the 28th. Okay, open the 28th, close the 28th. All right, and if people haven't figured it out yet by what we've been hearing and what, what we're talking about, um, the cat and the devil is a satirical look at society, and in particular, you know, right here in Antioch, in our town. And theater can be a way artists critique our society. So how do you feel or how do you see theater in general as a medium to critique and bring awareness to some of society's questionable norms. That's that's the intent, isn't it? I mean, other than just entertainment, I mean, uh, that's I mean, the Greeks, the Greeks. It was all satire. The Greeks did the same thing. I mean, it's the birthplace of theater, and and it was satire and commentary. So you'd be doing a disservice by not doing it. I think with the, the shows that are performed these days on a regular basis, um, because it's all, um, not all, but a good portion of it is just rehashed of everything you constantly see, the same seasons over and over again for community theaters, that what we do, being that most of it is original productions, does harken back to the Greeks and you know other places that do immediate stories. So this is what's happening. This is what's going on. Even though John wrote this six years ago, you know, people are grumbling about this and that. That's the whole thing is that it's it's showing what is happening now was happening 600 years ago. And that's one of the things that we try and show the kids that uh, are in our productions is that it doesn't have to be all, you know, mouse ears and fairy tales. It's timely in its own way. Let's talk about the theater company, the Drama Factory, and what you all do. And you guys are a theater family. Basically, your dad, John, produced plays in town. And you've acted in many productions, uh, both of you. Lee, you do a lot of the technical work, the lights and the sounds and stuff like that with some help. Tell us what led you to start up your own theater production, the Drama Factory. Well, we'd been doing it for a long time, and... Uh you know, there was a period there that we had left it alone, and we just wanted to get back into it. And uh, the theater here, lovely theater here, it seemed to be just kind of sitting dormant. So, you know, that's why oh, we thought, you know, it'd be easy enough to get in and do a few plays, we thought. <laughs> little, little did we know that we were going to get our lesson in civics, right. because it was not just being unused, it was... You know, they were they were purposefully not using the building um, because the then city manager had eyes on demolishing the building and developing the area. Um, and this is something that happens all across the country is that the community gathering places are being sold off to developers. And this is something that's so important to our community, um, not just for the kids, but for adults also, people that want to create the arts, to be in the arts, to have a program to be able to go to. And this is, like John said, a lovely little theater. So now that we have been able to get into the theater and grow the drama factory. Um, we're actually able to receive, We've this is our second year that we've received the civic enhancement grant from the city of Antioch. So the city of Antioch is no longer putting up barriers to the arts. The city of Antioch is actually trying to grow arts programs. And we really, really appreciate that. That's always good when the city like 
gives you the support that you're looking for. Well, let's talk about what people that want to participate, what do they have to do? Do they have to have acting chops already in the experience in the theater? And what will they learn? You know, kind of what's the process? No, no, no experience at all. Some of our best people had never set foot on stage before. And, uh, you know, just life lessons, how to project, how to throw your voice, how to walk with confidence. Uh, people who have gone into fields, you know, who have gotten older and graduated out of the theater uh, have used, you know, a lot of the things that they have learned here in their everyday life. Uh, one kid... <laughs> He was looking for adventure. He joined the Marine Corps, and uh, he said the exercise and not breaking character really helped him in boot camp, you know, that uh, they'll do anything they can to get you to break, and he just saw it as that. It's like, I'm not going to break, you know. He was trained not to break character, so he did He did well in that respect. He also appreciated that we are motivated to teach people to use their bodies correctly and he said that he had very good balance because of that and so that has also helped him within with the marines and he also met his wife in the theater here if that's encouraging at all you know yeah yeah it's always good when the love connection happens yeah um what about the age range how old um do you take is there you know different age limits i guess different plays might be you know directed toward different but what do you normally do for the age range different plays yeah have a different age range usually we're you know 10 and up, 10 to 100. Yeah, sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll scout for a younger kid if a part calls for one, you know, as low as eight or a talented five. I mean, we don't card anybody, but uh, yeah, that's what we suggest 10, you know, 10 is a good place to start. And we do like to mix our casts. So we don't have all kids or all adults. We have primarily kids playing kids, teens playing teens or adults, and adults playing adults. And sometimes the kids clobber the adults. <laughs> Talk about your personal feelings about doing a program like this. What is it that got you to um, teaching the community? And, you know, like, what's your motivation? Yeah. You know, it's the thing. It's the culmination of different facets of the arts. You've got movement. You've got, you know, elements of dance. You've got paint. You've got music. You've, you know, it all comes together in the theater. And, uh you know, it gives people a chance to lend a hand, but I mean, there's the the biggest motivation is you you know you make art because you have to, you know that's just that's just the nature of the beast. It's I mean, it's, you're driven to you know. There's times I wake up, it's like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this to myself? But you know, it's because you have to. I mean, what else are you gonna do? And Lee, um, one of our main things that we say or have printed on a lot of our information sheets is nothing creates character like theater. And I really, really believe that to be true, that if you speak well, if you hold yourself well, if you can stand up in front of an audience, if you can stand up in front of a board meeting, if you can, you know, put yourself forward and be a good verbal person, people will respect you for it and you seem to do better in in life. And so I really think that being in a group where you can learn these things, and it's something that we, every night, we start our rehearsals with vocal and movement exercises. We don't just learn lines and get up on the stage. We teach, teach, teach. And that is something that we really, really feel strongly about. With our program, we don't charge our participants. Um, That's something that we, we, seek grants, sponsorships, donations, um, 
to keep it available to every member of the community who wants to be associated with it. So we don't charge our participants. And by doing that, we're able to open it up to anyone who wants to do it. And lastly, before I let you go, thanks for uh, speaking with us again. That's the voice of Lee Ballesteros. I'm sitting right next to her is John. What's the best way for people to get information, like the website, uh, Facebook? Um, what do you prefer? Um, I would say probably that the easiest way would be to go to our website, which is uh, www.dramafactory.org. Um, we do also have a Facebook page, which is at Drama Factory. We have an Instagram page also. Um, we try and get out there, but we also like to be in the moment. We don't like to be overly digital, but definitely our website, dramafactory.org, is something that uh, always has the information up there. And definitely we will put a link to all those social media handles on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. John and Lee, thanks for speaking with me again. And everyone, make sure you get out to see their play coming in March, The Cat and the Devil. And we really appreciate having you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you, Franklin. Thank you, Frank. Welcome back. This is Full Circle right here on KPFA 94.1. That was the voices of John and Lee Ballesteros, the founders and directors of The Drama Factory, a free theater training program in Antioch. And their upcoming show, The Cat and the Devil, will be running at the Nick Rodriguez Community Theater in downtown Antioch. And we also just want to give a sh quick shout out to our theater ticket winner, Eniko. Yes, Eniko will be attending the um, Pussy Grabbing Revenge Sunday. And for the performances of The Cat and the Devil, they start on Friday, March 20th at 7.30 p.m. Also, Saturday the 21st, there'll be two performances, one in the afternoon at 1.30, and then again in the evening at 7.30. Also, they pick it up again the following weekend for Friday, March 27th, and Saturday, March 28th. For all the details, you can check their website, dramafactory.org. And again, a reminder that we'll have a link to all the show dates and all the information we talked about tonight on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. And also uh, there on the website, you'll find a link to our collaboration that the First Voice Apprenticeship Program did with the Drama Factory when we created the Drama Factory's version of the Telltale Heart. So there'll be also a link to that. Check it out. We added some cool sound effects to the play that they produced. Um, also, as a bonus, John and Lee have offered two pairs of tickets to any of the show dates for The Cat and the Devil. So if you're from East Contra Costa County area out there, Antioch, Pittsburgh, Oakley, Brentwood, or wherever you're at, and you'd like to get yourself a free pair of tickets to The Cat and the Devil... Um, just as long as you're willing to get out to Antioch and see it, uh, we'll take callers 3 and 5 at 510-848-4425. Again, callers 3 and 5 will get a pair of tickets to the Drama Factory's production of The Cat and the Devil playing the last two weekends in March. The number to call again, 510-848-4425. 510-848-4425. Callers 3 and 5 get a pair of tickets each to the Cat and the Devil out in Antioch at the Nick Rodriguez Community Theater. Well, uh, while the phones are about to start lighting up um, and people are calling in, 
We want to actually go to now a radio drama produced by myself, Free Will and Franklin, and I produced it right here at KPFA. This is a satirical sketch. It was created during the George Bush, the Younger's presidency. And at that time, right after 9-11, Americans were kept in a constant state of fear of the next terror attack. And this fear was kept in check or elevated by the government's use of a color-coded terror meter, which would be broadcast on daily news shows um, to show us how safe we actually were or weren't at that moment. So let's take a listen to Oh No Terror, written and directed by myself, Freewill and Franklin. The O'Reilly Factor is on tonight. Donald Rumsfeld takes on his critics with some fighting words, comparing them to Nazi appeasers. We'll tell you there why you go, his dear. comments are creating... Mmm, that smells delicious. Oh, yeah. Just in time for the O'Reilly Factor. What's this? We interrupt this program to bring you the following special report. Oh, right now? Why? We have unconfirmed reports of a large explosion at a laboratory in Pittsburgh, California. Could this be a terror attack? We'll tell you the path of the deadly cloud right after this message. From Superman Returns, you can unleash a deadly cloud? Yes, he said deadly cloud and Pittsburgh's upwind. That means we're, we're downwind. downwind. Oh, my God. oh, no. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Shh. On. We're back here with a special update. Hundreds of suspected terrorists are being rounded up in response to this latest unconfirmed terror attack at a lab in Pittsburgh, California. Residents of Pittsburgh and Antioch are in the path of a deadly cloud. Get out the duct tape and plastic, and we'll be back to tell you the affected area right after this message. We gotta act fast. You grab the plastic. I'll grab the tape. Okay, okay. All right, okay, okay. Start here. Hold this, hold this. Hurry, I think I see it. I think it's colorless. <laughs> I think I smell it. No, it's odorless, too. Are you sure about that? Wait, it's coming back on. Well, folks, we have now confirmed an explosion, but it seems our earlier reports were quite a bit off. But yes, we have confirmed an explosion at a laboratory at a construction site in Pittsburgh, California. Where it is said that an unknown man threw a lit match in an outhouse on a supposed dare which oh, triggered the oh, explosion. It seems our earlier reports of a deadly cloud have now dissipated. However, the terror meter will stay at level red and all schools in a 20-mile radius will remain closed for the week. The school... Oh, and all flights no out of SFO, Oakland, the and the San Jose airports will be delayed for extensive full-body x-ray search. Oh, my God. Imagine what the lines are going to be like. Oh, Oh, I'm glad we're not going anywhere. Wait a minute. I'm getting another special update in my earpiece. It seems the head of Homeland Security has now stated the County East and Sun Valley malls will remain open till midnight all week in case of any emergency purchases of new clothes or TVs as needed. Oh, boy. Oh, thank You're heaven. <sighs> I was scared there for a minute. I was too. Oh, the mall's open till midnight. Let's go. About the, issues that concern you most. the most watched morning show in all of cable news is Fox and Friends. 
Hey, that was my production. Welcome back. Uh, you are listening to Full Circle right here on KPFA. And that was Oh No Terror, produced by myself, Rebel and Franklin. And maybe you recognize the voices in there. That was John and Lee Ballesteros as the couple in that piece. And we have a few minutes left. And I haven't got a name to shout out yet for the ticket winners because no one called in for my ticket. So if you are interested in seeing John and Lee's uh play the cat and the devil performed by their theater group the drama factory that's out in antioch you can win a pair of tickets to their performances they are the last uh weekends in march give us a call get yourself a pair of tickets to the cat and the devil the number 510-848-4425 That's 510-848-4425. Call and win yourself a pair of tickets. The play is out in Antioch. So if you're out in East Contra Costa County, 510-848-4425. Where's my Pittsburgh people, my Antioch people? You want to go see the cat and the devil? Give us a call, 510-848-4425. Get yourself a pair of tickets to this play. And real quick, we want to also alert you to another fantastic performance, this one by the legendary Culture Clash. Yeah, the missionaries of mayhem are back with their unique brand of Chicano satire. Culture Clash first brought their dangerous and subversive theater to Berkeley audiences with Culture Clash in America. Gleefully skewering American culture through the lens of the Latino experience. In this powerful, pointed, and downright hilarious update, they turn their razor sharp wit to everything from pussy hats to MAGA caps, laying down outrageous, biting, and thought provoking monologues, and sketch comedy about the immigrant experience in America right now. You can join them after their Thursday evening performances for a post-show discussion with the performers about Culture Clash still in America. Yes, and this new show by Culture Clash is now running at the Berkeley Rep, and it's running through April 5th. Again, you can visit our website, kpfaapprentice.org, where we will have a link to the dates and times of that performance. And a final reminder about Hannah's special guest that, guest that we featured mm-hmm. earlier, Elaine McGree, and her one-woman show, Pussy Grabbing Revenge. That is also now playing and has performances that run through March 7th. All the details, again, will be on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. And... In our last few minutes here, we want to remind everybody that we are looking to recruit the next group of First Voice Apprentices right here on KPFA Radio. You can get yourself on this side of the mic, like me and Hana. Mm-hmm. This is a an 18-month training program. We learned sound editing and mixing with SoundForge and Adobe Audition. We do live hosting like me and Hana yeah, are doing. Yeah, we're doing it right now. And mm-hmm. right on the other side of the glass over there, Shaq is at the controls, also an apprentice. So these are some of the things that you learn when you become part of the KPFA First Voice Apprenticeship Program. You also get to tell the stories that are missing from the media and that are important to you and your community like the commentary that you did, Hana. Yeah, you know, that was from a class, a uh, commentary class 
And I don't know if I ever would have thought to do it without that class. And in the class, I learned all kinds of things. One is I learned how to tell a story. I learned writing for radio, which is actually different than writing for the written page. You write shorter sentences. It's it's a whole it's a whole learning process. And um, there's so many different classes that really tell you the technical side of being in radio as well as the artistic and cultural side. So if you want to be a First Voice Apprentice, please give us a call. You can call for an application, 510-848-6767, extension 235. You can go online to kpfaapprentice.org and download an application. Or you can stop by the station anytime during regular business hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 p.m. And we're looking to bring in a new group in the spring. So, we're running out of time. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Um, thank you to everyone for tuning in with us. Um, thank you to everybody that donated to this past fund drive. Don't forget, you can always make a donation anytime at kpfa.org. It is appreciated. Our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical director is Frank Sterling, sitting right here next to me. Woo! Joy Moore is our production consultant. On the board, we have Radio Shack. Yes. And our, well... And everyone is being tech assist tonight. <laughs> but we've been your host, Hannah Wilson and... Free Will and Franklin. Thanks for listening and stay tuned to La Onda Baita. <laughs>